0: Good morning. Good to see you. How you doing? Well, all right. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing great. Just making sure we're all going to. I mean, I seen a lot of smiles, but I'm not hearing much out of you. And I'm like, come on now. Here we go. Here we go. You know, they were, they were kind of quiet about an hour ago in here. I, I hope it's not as quiet in here as it was then. But uh, it may be. We've got, a, we've got a serious and somber word. From the Lord today, and so I want you to get your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to talk today about how that your trial is your platform. I want you to think about that statement for a minute. The reason that you have a platform or an audience is because of what has happened in your life. Let that sink in. I hear people say all the time, if I hadn't have gone through this, I wouldn't be able to help somebody else going through the same thing. You ever hear that? And you are thankful that someone has gone through the same thing when you're going through it. As strange as that sounds and is to have the idea that when you're struggling and you're in the middle of a trial, that you're happy that somebody else was there before you so that they could relate. It's kind of sick, but it's comforting, isn't it? It's comforting to know the reason why the Lord allows things to happen in our lives is so that we can be a blessing to someone else. This message is all about that today. It's all about how that this life is not about you and I. It's not about us. It's about everybody else. This life for you and I is about us dying to ourselves and letting the Holy Spirit live through us so that we can be a blessing to someone else. It's why that your trials are your platforms. That's why adverse things happen. Negative things happen in your life. If they never did, you wouldn't have anything to talk about. You wouldn't have any way to help someone else. When someone else was going through that trial, you wouldn't be able to pipe up and say, oh, hey, I went through that and I can pray with you. I, I, I can help you with that. Your trials are your platforms. A lot of people spend their lives trying to pray their trials away. Trying to pray away the very thing that God is going to use to bless somebody else. Think about how much time you spend asking God to take away your trials. If We spent as much time praying that God would help us be positive, And effective in our trial as we did praying for the trial to go away. Think about what a difference we could make. See, I told you it was quiet. It was like that earlier too. Paul's story illustrates that perfectly. Right after the Damascus Road experience, the Lord sent a man to Paul who at the time was Saul. His name hadn't been changed yet, but he was Saul. Saul. We knew him as Paul. And he sent this man to give him a word. Acts chapter 9 verse 15. The Lord told Ananias. Go. I'm adding a little bit here so you understand what's going on. He said go and find Paul and tell him this. Go because I've chosen this man Paul. To bring my name to nations and to kings. And to the people of Israel. Hmm. And he did didn't he? I've chosen him to bring my name to nations and kings and the people of Israel. You know how excited you get whenever someone, I don't know if this ever happened to you or not, but when when someone prophesies over you or somebody prays over you and they say, you know what, the Lord gave me a word, told me to tell you. He's going to use you. You're going to have an opportunity to minister to a lot. Has that ever happened to anybody? You're going to have an opportunity to minister to a lot of people. God's going to put you in front of folks and you're going to get a chance to say this. or that. Has that ever happened to anybody? And that's really exciting, you know. Somebody walks up and says, i got a word from the Lord for you. God told me to tell you that he's going, la, 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 he's going to use you. And We're like, oh, that's awesome, right? Check out the next verse. That's what just happened to Paul. I'll show him how much he has to suffer, 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 suffer for the sake of my name. Go, I've chosen you to bring my name to nations, to kings, and the people of Israel. All right, but you're going to suffer in order to do that. That's usually not the accompanying word in the altar. Is it? I haven't had anybody, I I guess because the Lord really doesn't want to discourage us right out of the bat. I've never had somebody prophesy over me and say, the Lord said to tell you, you're going to prophesy, you're going to speak to la, 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 whatever. Then he doesn't accompany that with, and by the way, get ready because your life is going to be a literal hell. And you're gonna suffer, and you're gonna have trials, and you're gonna be broke, and you're gonna get persecuted, and you're gonna get, and I, I'd be like, well, what? Hey, 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 hey! Man, there's a lot of folk here. Let God use somebody else. <laughs> don't give me all the glory. Let's spread this around. Give some, give some to Kevin, and give some out to Lonnie. And Lonnie said, I got my own. I don't need no more. I got my platform. I got my trial. We all do, don't we? It's funny how sometimes we look at each other and we say, man, I wish I was like so-and-so because we think so-and-so has it all together. I guarantee you wouldn't want one minute in so-and-so's shoes. Whatever you think is so awesome about somebody else is not as awesome as you think. And number two, there's a reason why that good things are happening for them right now. They've probably been through some really hard times and they're being rewarded. Paul would endure beatings. Stoning, shipwrecks, snakebite, chains, imprisonment, and lots of other hardships for the gospel that he preached. And he did preach to captains and governors and kings, just as the Lord had said. And he did reach both the Jews and the Gentiles, but he suffered in doing it. It cost him. It cost him his money. It cost him his health. It cost, cost him his time. Ultimately, it cost him his life. We look back and we say, wow, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was a really well-known, popular church leader. Man, it would have been cool to be Paul. Would it really? Would it be cool to be Paul in a prison up to your waist in excrement with rats eating dead bodies around you? Would that be cool? Well, no. This is the conditions that Paul suffered while he was writing those letters that help us so much today, one hour a day, given a candle and a pencil and a piece of paper, hands are unchained long enough for him to write, and he writes the letters that we treasure so dearly today. We don't even think about what he went through to get them to us. Your trials are your platforms. The message that Paul preached was no more popular then than it is today. The message that he shared with people, they didn't want to hear it any more then than they want to hear it now. Because he was telling people that they needed to be saved. People have been the same all along. We don't want to repent, we just want to be okay in our sin. Am I right? Makes it easier when someone finally stands up and says, Okay, something that has been sin forever, we've decided. I don't know who we are, but or who was given that authority, but we have decided that this thing which was sin forever is no longer. We have decreed that this, what God said was sin, is no longer sin. And then a lot of people in churches all over go, Oh, wow, that's great. That's awesome. That's not sin anymore. Okay, why well, don't feel so convicted? I don't feel so bad about it. And that they said they certainly just suddenly said it's not sin anymore. We just need to accept so that we can be politically correct. Man can legislate against it all they want. They can ignore it, burn it, persecute true believers for believing it, living according to it, but they cannot change the truth of the word of God. And sin is sin. And God hates it. You know why God hates sin and not sinners? He loves people. You know why he hates sin? Because of what it does to them. Have you ever known any anybody that just lived a really, really hard life? I'm not picking on anybody. Have you ever known anybody that just lived a really hard life? Drugs and alcohol. By the time they're 45, they look like they're 75. Because sin is a hard life. It'll take everything from you. The devil doesn't love you. He doesn't even like you. He'd kill you in a New York second if he could. I mean, if God would just lift the hedge of protection up from around you for a couple of minutes, he would kill you so quick because he doesn't like what you stand for. But you still got to stand. You got to stand. There's a whole lost, blind world in the dark that's counting on you. You got to stand. Nothing changes truth. Heaven is real. Do you believe that? How many of you believe that heaven is real? And aren't you looking forward to going? Heaven is real, and just as real as heaven is, so is hell. Heaven is so beautiful that we cannot even describe its beauty and the awesomeness of how cool it's going to be, and hell is just as detestable as heaven is good. Is whatever adjectives you could use to describe heaven in all of its glory and greatness, hell is the complete other spectrum of that. Where Jesus Himself said, The fire never goes out, and the worm never dies. People are gnawed on, burning eternally in damnation, apart and separated from the Spirit of God with a consciousness of the wrong they have done and no opportunity to right it and away from the Spirit of God and in that condition for eternity. And some people think that it's okay for the church to lower its standards when there's a hell like that that people are forcing their way into. God never intended for a human being ever to go to hell. It was never created for people. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And every person who lives on this planet is going to go to one or the other. Nobody gets an exemption. If we really believe that, it would change the way we think and act, wouldn't it? Which is the definition of the word repentance, all through the New Testament, everywhere in God's Word translation, that it talks about repent, it uses the phrase "change the way you think and act." And yet, there are sources today. A book I was reading just this past week on Friday—it it amazed me because I had this message, and I knew, and I've known this this, this think and act—and was going to preach about this. And I was reading this book that's been written by a, a, a gentleman in the United States. He's talking about how that evil is creeping in and how that how that it's it's coming in so subtly. He was talking about how that now there is hardly any differences between the church and the world. The divorce rate is basically the same in the church as it is outside the church. The same sins that people are indulging in in a worldly lifestyle are happening in the church the same way. We don't want to see any hands. Not looking for that, but bottom line is in every church across America today that is filled with people who do love Jesus in that room, people who really love Jesus. They're looking across the aisles, lusting for one another. Looking on their computers and phones at things they shouldn't see. Going to places they shouldn't go. Allowing themselves to think thoughts they shouldn't think. Allowing themselves to be in relationships that they shouldn't be in. And all of this because we're letting up on what used to be sin. Because I'm going to tell you something. If, if we could ever get to the place that we could just say marriage is between a human and whatever. That means any kind of what the scripture called terrible sexual sin is no longer even sin. Men marry men. Women marry women. Marry your pets. Marry your nieces and your nephews. Or don't marry them in this case. Get up to date. Be who you feel like you are today and act accordingly. Go wherever you want to go. See whatever you want to see. Do whatever you want to do if this type of legislation can take place and these things could be passed then eventually there then there is no way to define sin in fact there's a new translation of scripture out some guys have taken it upon themselves to change the writings of some of the scripture because the scriptures are politically incorrect where paul says basically in his writings If you lust for another, it would be better that you marry than for you to remain single and burned. Their translation is, don't deny yourself sexual gratification because that's frustrating. Is that the same thing? But the good news of the gospel is this. God loves everybody. And there are some folks out there that claim to be Christians that are holding up signs that say God hates people. And they, those people make me mad. They make me mad because they're being, they're being used by the same devil who's doing all this other stuff. God doesn't hate anybody. That's why he sent his own son to die for him so that all of them could be saved. We're not angry at people. We're not angry at the world. We're just mad as all get out at sin because we've learned, as our father has, what it does to people. Destroys their lives. Not against any person. And the good news is that God would save everybody that wants to be saved. Anybody that will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, believe in their heart, He's who he said he was, and repent of their sin turn from their evil lifestyle and commit their life to him. We're going to heaven, everybody, and no matter where we came from. That's why there's some of you sitting out here. Used to be hooked on drugs. Pornography. Alcohol. Gossip. I guess I would keep on going, but that's probably enough. I said used to be. Because God delivered us. But there's still some folks in the church still hooked on those things. And it's okay as long as they're seeking the Lord. But in far too many churches, there's no conviction about that. So they're never going to change. There'll be some type of new legislation that comes along and says. Or someone else will write a new Bible that says. Do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. And because of that, now the world sees no difference between themselves and the church. So when the New Testament used the terminology of you must change the way you think and act, it's ironic to be that now the world has taken that same phrase and spun it back on the church. The devil always tries to pervert what God has created because he has no creative abilities of his own. So he has taken yet one more thing and tried to put the spin on it, a negative spin, where that God said if you want to be saved, change the way you think and act. Now legislation says to the church, change the way you think and act or else we're going to punish you. Isn't that amazing? You changed the way you think and act, church. And we're saying we can't. We already did. We already did. We did change the way we thought and acted. And now that causes us, according to the word we live by, we have a standard to uphold. It's not that we hate anybody, but because we love everybody, we cannot let down this standard. The world needs us. To be light in the dark. So Paul's trials became his platform. I want to read something to you. Acts 26 verse 15. I, Paul, asked on the road to Damascus to Jesus, Who are you, sir? And the Lord answered, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Stand up. I have appeared to you for a reason. I'm appointing you to be a servant and a witness of what you've seen and what I'll show you. And I'll rescue you from the Jewish people and from the non-Jewish people to whom I'm sending you. He's going to rescue them, rescue him from the very people he sent him to. Why is he going to have to rescue him? Because they'll kill him. They're going to try to kill him for what he's going to tell them, the truth. Has that changed? No, we got brothers and sisters all over the world right now dying, dying, not just in prison, but dying for this. You'll open their eyes in verse 18 and turn them from darkness to light from Satan's control to God's and then they'll receive forgiveness for their sins who the people that are going to try to kill you if you'll go to them in spite of the fact that they don't like you tell them the truth and love then they'll be saved some of them some of them won't some of them will throw rocks at you right. But some of them will be saved and they'll receive forgiveness for their sins and a share among God's people who are made holy by believing in me. And at that point, he said in 19, I did not disobey the vision I saw from heaven. King Agrippa, by the way, he's speaking to the king right now. Been in jail for a while in order to do it, but he's that prophecy's unfolding right now, but he's suffering for it. Instead, I spread the message that I first told to the Jewish people in Damascus and Jerusalem throughout the whole country of Judea. And I spread the same message to non-Jewish people And both groups. Both groups were expected to change the way they thought and acted and turn to God. And I told them to do the things that proved they would changed their lives. And for this reason, what reason? That reason, the Jews took me prisoner in the temple courtyard and tried to murder me. God's been helping me to this day so that I can stand and testify to important and unimportant people. And I tell them only what the prophets and Moses said would happen. God's been helping me to this day so I can stand. He didn't say, and at that point I prayed, oh God, deliver me. Let me out of here. I'll never preach again. Help me find a good safe place to wait until you take me. He didn't say that. He said, God's been helping me to stand in spite of the fact they want to kill me. In spite of the fact that they throw rocks at me and that they beat me and they misabuse me and they throw me in their jails. In spite of all that, God's been giving me the strength to stand because my trials are my platform. I tell them only what Moses said would happen. What was that? He's spreading a message. Three points very quickly. Number one, the message was this. Change the way you think and act is repent. Number two, turn to God and away from yourself. Number three, live a godly life to prove your life has changed. If our life is no different than theirs, then we're no different from them. I want us to think of the things in our life that look just like the world and ask God if he's okay with that or if he wants us to change. Think about it. How does your life look any different? Because the the scriptures tell us that the bride of Christ is pure and spotless. Have we grown indifferent to habits or sin that we used to be convicted of? Think about that. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you hang on to a sin long enough, you can begin to justify it. You can begin to say, well, it's not, you know, it doesn't mean to me what it used to. I could quit any time. Change the way you think and act equals repent. Turn to God means you give him total control. Not withhold, you're not withholding anything from him. And live a godly life means you're striving to be like Jesus in all of your thoughts and your actions and your words. And I ask myself, how am I doing? Guys, we live in a generation that is so self-centered. Selfie sticks. Are you kidding me? Now we have a stick that we can get far enough away from us so that we can take perfect pictures of ourselves doing things that obviously the whole world wants to see. Here's a picture of me brushing my teeth. Here's a picture of me eating. Hang on a minute, I'm going to put my selfie stick down so I can get on Facebook and tell people I'm getting ready to eat. Now I'm going to come back and take a picture of me eating. What's going on, guys? That's why people run around and they're always offended. Somebody disrespected me. Somebody did this to me. But the scripture teaches us that we're dead, that we die to Christ. And you can't offend a dead man. We are dead in Christ. That's why Paul says they can throw rocks at me. It's just a body. To to me, to live live is, is, is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, don't matter to me. And that, how many people do you hear in the church? You hear church, people quitting churches all the time because somebody did to them at church. Somebody was mean to me at church. Die! So, somebody talked bad about me. Die! Die already! Somebody didn't shake my hand. Somebody let me do something. Die! It's time to die. Time to die. This is not the generation of self. That's what the the devil has spun it to be. That the whole planet, it's all about you, hon. If you want two and two to be five, that's cool. Marry a rock. Make up some songs. And we'll all create legislation so nobody picks on you. It's ludicrous. If the things that are happening today politically in this country... If anybody had tried to do this thirty years ago, how long do you think that would have lasted? How long do you think the movement would have lasted thirty years ago? I don't want to. I don't want to hurt anybody or beat anybody up. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you straight up right now. I love the day when everybody was in the closet. I wish they'd all get back up in it. I'm talking about the heterosexuals too. I'm sick of hearing everybody brag about who they're having sex with. Ain't there anything private anymore? Anything. Poor Deb can't even get me to hold her hand in public, you know. Not that she wants me to. I'm about the most private guy you've ever met. I don't, I'm not preaching against Facebook, but I don't get on Facebook because I really don't want anybody to know my business. I'm trying to keep Lonnie from knowing when I'm eating breakfast. I figure Lonnie can eat his and I can eat mine. We'll come to church. We won't even talk about it, Lonnie. I'm going to get together and take a selfie of us with with what rappers or what. I mean, we're just not going to do it. The scripture said that we would change the way we think and act and we would turn to God instead of to self and we would live a godly life to prove that our life has changed, to prove that we had rounded that corner. It's what the church has got to do, folks. I'm telling you, we're going into the end of time. They say, oh, we've heard that forever. It's all wrapping up. I don't know how that anybody that knows anything about the word whatsoever could deny what is happening in these end days according to prophecy all throughout Daniel and Revelation. How in the world can you read the word and know anything about it and not know that Jesus has got one foot already stepping out on the clouds? I mean, any minute this thing's going to be over. This is not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And we need to die to ourselves and do what we're here to do. It's quiet, I know. But we're not of this world. It's not our job as Christians to figure out how close we can walk to hell without falling into it. We're God's children. We're representing him to a world that is lost and confused and angry and hopeless and rebellious. And if we're different, we will be persecuted and we will be given a platform as a result that others don't have. But let's do it anyway. Let's decide with our lives that we're going to do something great and that we're going to make a difference and let's allow those trials to be our platforms. Let's quit praying them away. Quit praying away the very thing that God has put in your life so you could do something for somebody else. Paul chose that life for himself. The calling was his life. His platform is huge. He determined to live out his call, even if it meant suffering. And because of that, the will of God was performed in his life. All the prophecies that were, that were prophesied about him, they came to pass. They were fulfilled. He preached just like they said he was going to, to kings, rulers, Jews, Gentiles. Why? Because he refused to bow or to become complacent. And he stood for Christ in spite of the cost. What was his cost? He told King Agrippa, said, I was taken prisoner. They tried to kill me before I could even speak. But he said, God had the last word. He always has the last word. Look what the verse said. God kept helping me. God kept giving me strength to stand and testify. We have a decision to make. All of us, everyone in this room has a decision to make. What are we going to do? Are we going to bow and hide? Or are we going to stand and use our trials as our platform? You have to decide. Scripture said no man can serve two masters. Either serve the God of this sinful world, or you'll serve the God of the whole universe. You'll do His will and enjoy eternity in heaven with Him. Neil sang a song this morning in worship. I want him to come back, sing it in a minute. He talks talks about was that the next to the last song we sang talks about how God is a consuming fire. Consume me. It's an apt way to finish this message. The Lord gave me this idea just before the first service. About how that he is a consuming fire. And that in our lives. He burns up everything about us he burns up our sin he he burns up our individuality when you truly get on fire for god you quit thinking so much about yourself you quit worrying you quit defending and guarding yourself so strongly you start thinking about other people what i th- what i thought was a really cool sight of of, of, of a picture that god gave me was him as a consuming fire, that when we come to Him in repentance, a lot of people think that when they bring their sin to God, they're sacrificed. Well, God don't want you to bring your sin to the sacrifice. People, people come down and drop things on the altar, and it's like they're doing God a big favor. Here's my cigarettes, here's my drugs, here's whatever. God's like, don't bring me that. Don't bring me mess. In the Bible, I wanted you to bring your very best. Get rid of your stuff, and then bring me you. Huh? Don't come and think you're doing the kingdom of God some big thing by laying your cigarettes on it. That's great because I understand it's an emotional thing where you disconnect from that. But, But I'm saying that that's really not the sacrifice. He's asking for the sacrifice. A living sacrifice is what God is asking from us. So when we come to the altar, we throw the sin on the altar and he burns that up. And then we begin to say, now, God, everything else in me. And that's when he starts getting in there. And he starts burning up all the dust and the draws and all those things that shouldn't be. Thoughts and actions and desires. carnal, he starts burning all that up. And then what's left? Kevin, what's left? After the sin is gone, after the self is gone, there's only one thing left. the Sacrifice. The s- now it's the living sacrifice. That's all that's left. And God showed me, he said, the Holy Spirit, he said, once I burn up the sin, once I burn up the self, then he said, I start burning the sacrifice. And he said, my Holy Ghost is fuel that I pour on the flame. And he said, that sacrifice lights up a dark world. That's good stuff. Pastor, how come God isn't using me? How come my call isn't coming into fruition? Have you died to sin and self? Because until you've died to sin and self, the sacrifice can't start burning. Huh? As long as you hang on to sin, as long as you hang on to self, the sacrifice don't have any fuel poured on it. No gas on the fire. It's not burning bright. It's just a light under a bushel. It's what far too many people have accepted in churches all across this nation. And perhaps in some places all around the world. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to give up myself. And I don't want to give up my sin. And God says, then who's going to burn for me? Who's going to burn for me? And then our prayers sound like this. Oh God, they say I'm sick. Make me well. Quick, make me well right now. Well, yeah, Pastor, It'd be as stupid not to pray that prayer. Oh, God, we're broke. We got to pay a bill tomorrow. Give me money now. Give me money now. Well, yeah. When was the last time we spent as much time asking God to let us be effective in the midst of our trial as we prayed for God to take the trial away? That's a sign of maturity. When a person gets to the point they've died to themselves and descend to, to the point they're is as a sacrifice. And now their prayers change. And they can say things like, okay, God, I'm in the middle of a trial. I'm in the middle of a storm. I'm in the middle of a serious battle. But instead of me spending my time trying to pray it away, I'm going to ask you to let me burn in the middle of all this thing. Let me show somebody something. Let me tell somebody something. Let me be something to somebody that they've never seen. And God says, now you get it trials are your platforms God all over this room I see lights coming on Lord I see lights coming on God you're working in this house you're a consuming fire today oh God you're looking to burn away sin and self And you're looking to pour the Holy Ghost on the sacrifice. You're looking to set the sacrifice afire. And let it burn bright in the dark. God, who in this room do you have that will burn for you? Who do you have that won't bow? Who do you have that'll be strong who do you have that'll stand when everybody else bows to the music who do you have that'll go through the fire God who do you have because that's who you're looking for it's who you've got to have it's how you've chosen to save a world God raise up the church consume us set us on fire God let the Holy Ghost begin to burn in us Every person in this room that says, Pastor, I'm ready to pray. Be quiet. I got to get to the altar. I got some sin I want to get rid of. I got some self I want to get rid of. I want to be a burning sacrifice for Jesus. During this song, hop up. Get up here. Come to the altar. Come around these seats. Walk around this house. Whatever you want to do, however you need to do it. But get yourself to God and get rid of the sin and the self so the sacrifice can burn. Will you do it? You know if he's talking to you. Let the Holy Spirit examine your life. He's going to start with the sin. He's going to start bringing the sin out. You're going to start hearing the sin in your spirit. Start confessing and repenting of the sin. Then He's going to start dealing with you in the self. Then deal with that. And then finally, the Holy Ghost is going to blow through. This is different. God does different things in different places. This morning service was an awesome service, but I have a feeling that there's something. There's just something different about this right now there's for, and it has to do with people but some of you about to leave this room changed some folks that came in here complacent you about to walk out of here on fire again and it's time it's time because God needs you Neil would you lead us in folks would you pray let's just let the Holy Spirit work in here today